0: You're listening to the Thursday catch-up episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy, and I still have COVID. Hi. I just woke up and uh, went and tested myself this morning um, with high hopes, but I don't understand what I was hoping for. Uh, well, I know what I was hoping for. I was hoping that I didn't have the fucking COVID bug so I can finally relocate from this prison that I've been in, my room. I've been locked in my room for five days now, uh, Not as to not make the rest of the people in the house sick. Um, and uh, I still tested positive today. Now, um, I feel better than I have before. Uh, I'm generally pretty dry because you know living here in California, especially at this time of the year uh everything is incredibly dry, so you're constantly feeling dehydrated uh It also doesn't help that I woke up this morning in just like a puddle of sweat, just sweat. I feel like my body when I go to sleep, my body just turns on the temp and tries to burn out whatever the fuck is inside me. Um, But I I do have more energy. Um, I do feel like whatever is sort of kicking around inside of me is leftovers. It doesn't feel like uh, COVID's in there, you know, whipping up new batches of the strain and, and, you know, pissing them around like fertilizer on a lawn. Like, I feel like, you know, whatever's in there is uh, the stubborn shit sort of clinging to the to the snot-covered walls of my insides. Um, and notice I didn't go into a coffee fit on that, uh, which is great. Um, so I, I'm a f- a few days off, I feel like. it's. I think I'm going a little bit stir-crazy, is, is what's going on. Um, but the uh, the benefit and the side effect of being trapped with essentially... Uh, a TV, and that's it, is that I've been able to uh, watch and uh, uh, catch up and sort of get lost in a bunch of different movies. And uh, let me say, you've heard me say this before in the show, but thank fucking God for uh, the Criterion channel. Uh, And hopefully at some point they'll hear how much I love them, uh, because it would be great to team up with them and do something. But, uh thank god for the criterion channel uh i love the curation and the hole that they sent me on yesterday was just purely entertaining and i watched a bunch of movies that i never would have watched at the same time um and uh it left me smiling by the end of the night um so I figured what I what I would do is uh, for those of you who maybe have just come down with COVID because so many fucking people are getting it right now all at the same time and you're sort of mindlessly uh sitting in front of your television and your brain is sore, your nose feels like someone crumpled up glass and spit it in your sinus cavity. And (coughs) and there's a little bit of a cough. And um, you're just mindlessly scrolling through whatever sort of reality, true crime, uh, repetitive bullshit that you find on the other streamers. And you're like, man, I wish there was something interesting to watch. Um, I've decided to talk about and put together my COVID movie watch list. And I can pretty much guarantee you that if you follow through and watch the films that I watched, you're going to go on a weird, strange, and satisfying journey that uh, will bring you out on the other side, feeling like uh, you saw something that you never knew you wanted to see. And the joy of that is that whatever fucking algorithm that has leached itself uh, in through the back of your skull, all la Invaders from Mars... Uh, that has decided that your base needs, uh, being that you like to see cat videos, uh, equates you watching every one of these stupid fucking shows over and over and over again, you can get out of that haze. You can beat the infection that you have had with that sort of content faster than you can beat your COVID infection. (laughs) Uh, and if you guys have followed me on uh, Instagram, at Mike petrie or follow the podcast on Instagram, that's the love of the process pod on Instagram, uh, I have been doing posts about the movies that I've been watching, and I figured today I would talk you through some of that stuff. Apparently, the dog next door is incredibly excited about my list, too. Fuck yeah, buddy. Um, so... Let me start with some of the movies that I watched uh, before I got lost in the Criterion channel. Because in the beginning, I was just sort of feeling. I think the. the here, here, here's the issue that I think so many of you, and in myself, have with committing to watching something like the Criterion channel. Your initial response is like, man, it's gonna be very heady, it's gonna be very moody, it's gonna be very smart. It's going to be very intense, right? So I, I my brain is full of fucking snot and pain right now. I just want to watch something that's comfortable. I just want to watch stuff that makes me feel better, right? And so while we're talking here, let me go back through here and tell you guys what I watched before I went to the Criterion channel. Um, and <clears throat> let me let me just log into some of my apps, right? Let's log into the Red N app, right, and see what the app that the planet is using the the one that has a button on my ruku remote for itself it's going to log itself in here take its sweet ass time because every time they do a software update it renders the hardware that it uses useless very similar to a cell phone um mike don't be an old man stop pitching okay so let me click on my account and let's see that's how long it took What are they thinking that I'm going to be excited about? Okay, so the new movie Dumb Money. uh, That's the movie about the investors that uh, made all that uh, insanity with the GameStop stock trading. Um, uh, Yeah, I guess, right? I guess that's what's going to go on here. Here's what my popular and Netflix thing looks like. This is fascinating, right? So this is what Netflix thinks that I'm interested in. It's this movie, Dumb Money, which is the recently added thing. There's another movie called uh, Louder Than Milk. Who the fuck is in this? Who the fuck is in this? Wow, this app is running so fucking slow right now. Oh, that's, what's his name? From, uh, from Swinger's. Oh, of course. My, my, uh, my app just froze. That's great. Ron Livingston's new movie. Okay, is that just because I'm over the age of 40? And then the new Kevin Hart movie called Lift. But the rest of the selections are Apollo 13, Cowboys and Aliens, Bird on a Wire with Mel Gibson <laughs> and Goldie on. Wow, it's it's really keeping me current <laughs> with movies. Alright, apparently I have to restart this fucking thing. And I think it's just because it knows that I'm doing excuse me, it knows that I'm doing a podcast about it. Let me restart that Ruku. Cool. So <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, is that It's a rare occasion that I log into the Red End streamer and I find something that they've made for me. It's a very rare occasion. I think the last time I was excited was um, with The Killer, which was Fincher's movie. But he always seems to be an outlier on that channel. It seems like he was the one that made that channel so popular and he sort of has carte blanche to do whatever the fuck he wants on that channel. So it just feels like he's constantly breaking the rules of the algorithm. And he is kind of the OG algorithm on that channel. But the rest of it really doesn't make a difference to me. Um, So besides that stupid little rant, what did I watch? So I sat down and I watched uh, a new movie from one of my favorite actors one of my favorite independent actors and independent filmmakers um, that I found on Hulu. And it was directed (coughs) by a guy that I've respected. Even, I know it's weird to say, like, a guy like me would love to watch New Girl, but it was a show that Gina and I as a couple would sit down and watch together. And uh, I really kind of fell in love with the characters on that show, and I fell in love with the comedy on that show. Um, And uh, Jake Johnson was a big standout for me. And uh, he, once I did a little bit of research on him, because I was like, man, what else has this guy done? Has he always just been a TV guy? And you do some research on him, and his indie work is so fucking good. So good. He's got movies like Drinking Buddies um, that are incredibly uh, dark, funny. Like like the characters in those movies are very much rooted in real problems and very sort of dark origins. And his sense of humor and his sort of like Chicago-like Uh, coming from sort of like a rough, uh, obviously like sort of gambling addictive, alcohol addictive history really adds texture to this lovable character. And I love him for it. And I had just heard that he had done a new movie called Self-Reliance. And the tagline for this is, when a man is offered a million dollars to play a game in which hunters try to kill him, he thinks he has found the perfect loophole they can only attack when he's alone. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's hysterical. It's uh, like odd, strange, and often dark and weird. Uh, the pacing sometimes can be weird. So it's it's enjoyable to watch. It's Like I said, self-reliance. It's on Hulu. Stars Jake. Uh, Anna Kendrick is in it as well. Annie Sandberg has a has a <laughs> has a little guest spot in it. Um and it's awesome. And Jake not only uh wrote it, he directed it, he also produced it, put it together. Um I just saw an interview with him, I think it was on Burt Kreischer. No, it was on Two Bears. And he was on Two Bears and uh he was talking about how the landscape has changed for filmmaking and uh how it's about making movies for audiences specifically now and not making movies for the gatekeepers. Um, and so it's it's a fascinating, fun look on indie cinema uh, made by a true artist. And so I know, uh, I th- like, Jake and I have talked briefly back and forth on Instagram, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast. Um, so if, for some reason, if uh, if he listens to the show, Jake, I'd love to have you on the show because I'd love to talk about uh your filmmaking processes um i'd also love to work with him i have a role that i would love him in um but uh, if you guys are fans of jake johnson you should write to him and say hey you should be on in love with the process he's on instagram he definitely reads his messages on instagram so you should write over to him and say hey jake be on the show mike's a massive fan of you um <clears throat> but check it out on hulu self-reliance i've watched that great movie a lot of fun if you guys are looking for something current, uh, head on over there and check that out. Um, let's see, what else did I watch? I also sat back down because I uh, got, I saw the list of Oscar nominees. And I don't want to get into it today. I think I'm going to get into the Oscar nominee stuff next week. Um, but uh, one of the movies that I feel like should have been nominated more than it was was. Uh, One of my favorite sci-fi movies of last year. I think it was an epic film that got a real bad fucking review hand. I think a lot of people gave it shit when I think it was one of the best made films. Um, And uh, the creator, um, directed um, by the guy, the same guy, Gareth Edwards, who did Rogue One, which I think is the best Star Wars movie out of all the bunch. Uh, but he also did the first Godzilla movie from uh, the the American sort of monster-verse uh, explosion that they did when uh, acquiring the rights from Toho. Now, <coughs> the first Godzilla, when I saw it initially that he directed, I thought it was great, but I always had a problem with uh, the casting and the pacing of the casting, which is weird because he had... An epic performance by Brian Cranston. And if you guys haven't seen the first Godzilla movie yet, skip forward about 5-10 minutes because I'm going to spoil a bunch of shit. Um, but I think everybody's seen it. So, yeah, Brian Cranston shows up at the beginning of the movie. Um, and he gives a strong fucking performance. And then uh, he ends up being killed, right? And so when you first watch the movie, you're so emotionally connected to this man who you think is going to be the lead throughout the whole film. And I don't understand why he wasn't. I wonder if it was some sort of studio note or something that was like, he's too old for us to have him be the lead character in this movie. Which is weird. Because we were so connected to him. And then um, they ended up casting... What's the kid's name? He was the lead from uh, Kick-Ass. And he, he was just miscast in this role. I felt like he was a bit awkward. And then his wife was... Elizabeth Olsen, who's usually really great, but the combination of those two just felt like, you know, like a a grocery store knockoff of a brand that you wanted. You know what I mean? Like you go to buy Cheez-Its, but you go buy the fucking Whole Foods Cheez-Its and they just don't taste like Cheez-Its. And you're like, why didn't I just go buy regular Cheez-Its? You know what I mean? (coughs) Hold on, here comes that (coughs) Sorry, guys. (coughs) Ugh. It's been a while since I've talked this much. Anyway. Since the last show, really. So, <clears throat> I was like, okay, whatever. Let me let me tune back in and watch the original Godzilla. And there's been so much stuff that they've been putting out, right? So, they had that Monarch show, which, uh, guys, it's terrible. Um, and I'm a huge Godzilla fan. And I love Kurt Russell and uh, Wyatt Russell and, and the... And the casting of the two of them playing the same role, I thought was re- really great. It's a good draw. Uh, you know, years ago when I was pitching, I could talk about this. Years ago when I was pitching 12KM as a feature and the early versions, I wanted to cast them both in that movie. Which would have been awesome, right? Everybody goes, oh, yeah, it would have been great. Um, so they ended up uh, being cast in this and it was a goddamn fucking waste because... That show um, is just, it just seems like a money, it feels like a money grab on uh, a licensing that they have, right? And so that show teases that it's going to be a show about Godzilla and sort of this whole team and research facility that's hunting for Godzilla. But this is something that I've noticed with any sh- sort of show. If, when you start one of these shows, go to fast forward it and pause it and just look at the thumbnails. So and as you sort of scrub through the thumbnails look at where the monsters show up which is always in the first you know two or three minutes of the first episode and then you just have all this really shitty dialogue between characters that you don't give a fuck about like these kids sort of fake spoilers alert these kids figuring out that they all had the same dad and then they'd know each other and he had two different families who gives a fuck and it just sort of goes to this like this like, you know, tuna can drama that they just sort of open up and they uh, sprinkle on to this time filler. And then it is all the way down to the last, you know, three minutes or two minutes of the show. And then, oh, look, there's a little teaser at the end with the monster and some visual effects. And then if you look at each episode, if you were to take and and download each episode as a digital file and load it into Premiere and look at the thumbnails, you'd see that they line up exactly at the same points. And so after 10 episodes, if you were just to take the first two minutes and the last two minutes of each show and cut those together, that would be the most that they spent on CG and monster creation. And it would barely fit one episode, right? And so when you watch an entire series like that, you're just, you feel fucking empty and hollow, right? And and most people feel this way about that show. And if you think about it, (coughs) it's because they tried to do it as cheaply as possible. They spent all their money on Kurt Russell and his his son. They had all these casts. They cast all these other kids, these unknowns. Some folks, the people have kind of seen, the kids have kind of seen, with the idea that only young kids are going to be watching the show, and so we have to make sure that they can connect with young kids, and then they come up with some sort of bullshit, simple fucking connective tissue, like everybody has a dad who has two families. I don't know i can go on a fucking rant on that it drives me crazy and this is what drives me crazy about tv and i feel like when you watch monarch it is the purest example of uh, a company that has a license that they're like uh hey uh let's do agents of shield from marvel it's the same kind of bullshit right and they just sort of stamp the same thing on it so <clears throat> thank god for godzilla minus one this year thank god for that so, uh, all that was in my head, and I'm like, oh, let me go back and watch the first Godzilla. Which, surprisingly, Gareth did. And it kind of felt the same way with the whole Star Wars thing, right? Where Rogue One. So we went back and I watched Rogue One 2 as well. <clears throat> Two really great movies. And Godzilla won, besides the casting issues, um it's a great fucking movie. The effects are great. The suspense is great. Um, he designed new, new monsters that didn't come from Toho's universe, didn't come from their licensing catalog. Uh, the Mudos, which not only were interesting to look at and really sleek in design and, and very smart about becoming EMPs and sort of knocking out all the power around them, which is a great thing because it sort of not only takes out weapons like jets and shit that could probably shoot them down, but also shuts the lights off and everything and turns it into a really scary uh, monster flick, right? Because it's all about when the lights are turned on to these creatures and when you actually see the creatures in their fullest. And having the movie take place in San Francisco where there's a lot of fog and a lot of places for these things to hide and the water and everything it's very fucking smart it's very smart (coughs) (coughs) and when I originally watched the movie I was kind of upset that every time you saw one of the creatures it was always from the perspective of someone on the street monsters would start to fight and doors would close they'd cut away and show it on the TV and you never really got to see them in their fullest form (coughs) and it would really kind of piss me off but after seeing so many of these movies where it is just straight monster stuff, um, you really had respect for how much he was showing and when he was letting you see things and when you heard the full Godzilla roar and when you were with him in those spaces. I enjoyed it, man. That, the, 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 the newest viewing that I had, which was a few days ago, was a lot of fun was a lot of fucking fun, and i it really watching that movie really made me rethink a lot of these older films and I was like man i gotta I gotta got see some cooler stuff I gotta watch some more interesting shit and so <clears throat> I was like, all right, well, what else is out there? What else could I do and you, you sort of run your brain through other movies that you want to see and you go back through your classics and I sit here and I go do so I go back and I watch the alien movies again? well, I've seen those a hundred fucking times. Mm. where do I want to go? So I'm thinking about, thinking about. And I said, well, you know what, dude? It's been a while. You pay for the account. Let's go and watch Criterion. Let's see what Criterion has kicking, right? And so the thing I like the most about Criterion is they curate. They curate. They don't algorithm. And why is this so cool? Well, It's like, and I've talked about this before, it's like when you went to the video store and the video store, if it was a local video store, even if it was a blockbuster, but most of the time it was local video stores that did this, they would put together end caps. They would put together selections of movies that were either the favorites of employees. So you'd go in and see an employee favorite section. And just by looking at what uh, VHS or DVDs were on that shelf would give you a pretty good idea of what... (laughs) that employee looked like right because you would walk around a corner and you'd see that person go ah that is the person that would like to watch days to confused you know and uh you know sort of go through this list of other movies that (laughs) actually painted a picture visually of what that that viewer would look like but they would also put together caps of like uh filmmakers or like uh you know best sci-fi movies and and they would list all these things and you would see movies up against each other that normally wouldn't be there, right? Alphabetically, they wouldn't be listed together, so you wouldn't see them on the shelf randomly next to each other. But also, you know, some of these movies would be made in the 1950s, and some of these movies would be made in the 1980s. And, and then oftentimes, if they were smart folks that were putting them together, they would go, hey, look, these are the movies that were influenced by these other filmmakers. For instance... If you were a big fan of The Thing, they would probably have it up on the shelf next to A Thing from Another World. And then they'd start talking about Howard Hawks, who produced that, and then there would be other Howard Hawks movies. And then you would kind of get lost in like, wow, Howard Hawks' dialogue and blocking is really interesting. What are his other films? And then you'd sort of fall down this hole and go like, oh my God. And you would start to change your flavor profile, your taste profile, right? So now... You being a person that was always like, I don't like anchovies, <coughs> suddenly came around and had this amazing dish that had anchovies in it. Now your brain is open to having anchovies. Now you're ordering pizza with anchovies on it. There's a weird food, uh, you know, reference, but it makes sense <laughs> to me, it Does it at least. Um, so anyway, Criterion, I'm logging in right now. If you guys don't have the Criterion Channel, and like I said, I am not sponsored by these guys. I should be, but I'm not. If, if you guys don't have it, go download it now. It's a very inexpensive thing. I think it's like 100 bucks for the year or something. Um, go check them out. And right now, they have big banner on their thing right now. James Gray's New York. Now, I don't know who James Gray is a director. I've never known him by name. Right? But there's this really great banner with a great font. And it has Joaquin Phoenix sitting in a subway train in a suit looking very intense. Um, And it just feels like a very specific period of time in New York City. And I was in New York City around this time, you know, because I went to film school then. And so there's something about the quality of light and there's something about sort of the grittiness of that image that makes me go, ooh, this feels like when I was riding on a train going back and forth from, from class, What is this, right? So, this is already, it's got me. Now, they're not using the same posters or the same advertising and the same anything that they used to to market these movies initially. And this is what's great about Criterion, right? And we all know that Criterion's DVDs or Blu-rays are fucking epic. They always do beautiful restorations. They do new art, right? And they have all sorts of great extra features on them. And so, this channel does the same thing. <laughs> and they're not just picking random thumbnails that change dependent upon your algorithm. Where it's like, you know, hey, here is some random uh, actor that is going to show up on your thumbnail because you fit, you know, you like this actor. It's no, no, no. They're like, here is the poster that everybody fucking sees that we've designed to market this movie, right off the bat. Taste, perspective, point of view, that are pandering, which I love about it. So if you click on this, we go in, and I'm like, who the fuck is James Gray? James Gray has always stayed true to himself and true to his roots in Queens, New York, drawing on his family's immigrant background to lend a multi-layered authenticity to his rich, empathetic dramas uh, steeped in the city's cultural melting pot, which is awesome. And I'm like, okay. Now, here's what I fucking love is that Criterion then internally cuts together teasers for this collection that they put together. So they've curated this collection of James Gray movies and they put together a teaser for it, which they do a really good job um, with these teasers. So if you click on the teaser, I'm doing it now. They find their favorite shots, they find some music that may or may not even be in any of the films, and they cut this mood piece. And as you watch it, featuring five films, and it you see New York City and Gwyneth Paltrow back in the day, wow, <clears throat> and what's his name who played Casey Jones in the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? That's fucking weird. Why have I never seen these movies? The Immigrant? What is that about? Well, that's what's her name from Inception? we own the night i had heard about that movie robert duvall are oh, there's like gunfight sequences that are going on here tim roth he, I, what movie's this i've never seen this little odessa what is this i still haven't seen that young mark Wahlberg in the yards was that movie any good i remember hearing about that and him, he's fighting joaquin phoenix what is this and then the criterion logo comes up that's the fucking teaser guys that's the teaser right So I'm like, yes. So the first thing that sticks out to me is a young Gwyneth Paltrow. Now, I think this is because when I was a kid, I initially saw Gwyneth Paltrow, and I kind of fell in love with a young Gwyneth Paltrow from a movie called Great Expectations. It was her, Ethan Hawke. um, I think Robert De Niro was in that. It's a retelling, a modern retelling of the old story, Great Expectations. And she was gorgeous in that, lit beautifully. This is the same Gwyneth Paltrow from the era of seven, right? And so I'm like, how have I not seen this Gwyneth Paltrow movie? So I scroll through these, and I find a movie called Two Lovers, <clears throat> directed uh, by James Gray in 2008. Um, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Vanessa Shaw. And... Um, let me see if they will give me... That's it. They're not even giving me a description of the, show, of the movie. And I'm like, okay. I'm doing it. So that was my first in on Criterion. A movie called Two Lovers. Um, it's fantastic. I mean, essentially, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but Joaquin Phoenix plays the son of a family that owns a... Uh, dry cleaning shop in New York City. Um, he is slightly bipolar. Big surprise that Joaquin Phoenix is playing that. But his character doesn't go so deep. It's not like it's you're watching the original Joker um, or the movie that inspired the Joker. Although you can understand why he was casting the Joker because of a movie like this. Um, it doesn't go that dark. It doesn't get that depressing. Um, and it's this interesting story of a guy who's trying to recover... Uh, over the fact that he was engaged to be married and they split. And now he meets two women in New York City that uh, could lead him into two different directions. And he's sort of making his way through it. Uh, And Gwyneth Paltrow is one of them. And so it's a beautiful film. Uh, It's a great study in uh, uh, depression. It's a great study in uh, attraction. Um, and I enjoyed the fuck out of it. It's beautifully lit. Um, and man, it feels like New York. It really does feel like New York City. Um, so if you're a fan of New York City, if you wanted to know what it was like to live in New York City in the 2000s, in the late 90s, um, I like, I was even feeling bits and pieces of rear window in this movie. So, uh, it's, it's fucking, fucking fantastic. I cannot say enough great things about it. And I never ever would have picked this movie up I think the original artwork for this movie is terrible the original the DVD cover work for it is just god awful it's lazy um, <clears throat> I, I don't think I've ever seen the trailer for this film and I, you know me man I'm deep in this stuff um, and I would not have seen it uh, without Criterion and finishing this film had me in I was in and excited and ready to rock and I think this was a few days ago <clears throat> and I said, all right, tomorrow, I'm just watching straight Criterion because I was pumped about this, right? When's the last time you could say that on one of the other streamers, right? And, it, and not just the fact that, like, well, that was the only thing I could see on this streamer. Because <clears throat> before I logged out, I looked at their new collections on Criterion. And one that stuck out to me the most, of course, is a collection called Post-Apocalyptic Sci-Fi. Right? How many of you that listen to my show already are drooling, leaning forward in the seat? There is a collection on here right now this month called Post-Apocalyptic Sci-Fi. It's got a cool graphic and it goes, In the wake of World War II, amid the persuasive Cold War, error, dread of nuclear annihilation, a profusion of dystopian films emerged that envisioned what the world might look like Should the doomsday come to pass? Yes, right? So, this is what I love. They have a post-apocalyptic sci-fi teaser. And who is on the teaser image? Uh, None other than Mr. Mel Gibson, right? And you're like, okay, cool. The first Mad Max, let's play this teaser. (coughs) Excuse me. Then you're in the space where they are showing you clips from The Quiet Earth, uh, The Day the Earth Caught Fire, what, is, what are these movies? I've never heard of these movies before. Okay. So let's see, where does it go? Hold on, let me re- resume this again. Because apparently it was playing the end of that clip. Dead End drive The Quiet Earth, The Bed Setting Room. What are these? What is all this stuff? Okay. So then I come through here and I go, okay, what are the movies in here? Some classics that I love already so they they are playing escape from new york i love this movie uh and i'll get into that in a bit the first mad max okay two movies that most people that are listening to the show have already seen right i'm like okay great what else do they have in here a movie called threads directed by mick jackson 1984 united kingdom i have no idea what that movie's about the quiet earth that looks fascinating Night of the Comet. I remember hearing about this movie. And I watched it again. And it's great. I'll talk about that. Dead End Drive-In. I haven't seen that yet. But I'm pumped about it. The Bed-Sitting Room. Don't know it. Panic in Year Zero. This one's done in 1962. Black and White. I watched that. That movie kicked ass. Uh, The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Another great movie. That movie kicks ass. Uh, No Blades of Grass. Testament. 1990, The Bronx Warriors was I watched, which is hysterical. And Escape from the Bronx and The New Barbarians. Really weird list. A lot of movies that I hadn't seen before. Filmmakers from Italy making movies. uh, Filmmakers from the UK making movies. Now, I'm excited, right? So I'm like, where do I start? Where do I go? Well, let's start chronologically by date, right? I go and I look at this film called... The Day the Earth Caught Fire, uh, directed by Val Guest from the UK. And uh, this is a movie, to give you guys without spoiling anything, this movie takes place in London uh, in, the, in the 60s or late 50s, uh, all in black and white. I had never seen the cast before, so starring uh, Janet Monroe, who's amazing, Leo McKern, he's interesting, and Edward Judd. Um the movie follows a newspaper man uh working in a really interesting sort of high speed high impact newspaper um I forget what which newspaper it was one of the main newspapers in London <clears throat> and it's right after they have tested the world has tested atomic bombs so there's been an atomic bomb test um by Russia and there's been an atomic bomb test um and in the U.S. and the weather patterns on Earth have changed because of it. So everything—the temperatures are changing. It's raining when it shouldn't be raining. It's snowing when it shouldn't be snowing. <clears throat> Everything's sort of fucked up. And this, these newspaper men are trying to figure out why. They're doing all this different research, and uh, the the fucking movie is so enthralling. It feels like an old Kurosawa movie. Uh, It felt like, to me, like uh, high and low, the way the dialogue was staged, the way people would talk over each other, the way things were blocked. It felt very Kurosawa. And um, as they sort of progressed, the movie gets so fucking fascinating. And they... I don't want to give anything away because you guys definitely have to watch this one. It's a great one. The Day the Earth Caught Fire but what the atomic weapons have done to the planet is interesting. It's a story that I haven't heard since. Um, And how it affects everybody is fascinating. And there's sort of this love story that is kind of dated, right? It's uh, dated to that time period of uh, how men and women sort of exchange and interact. But the woman in the movie isn't a pushover. She really kind of holds her own, which is great. Um, And It's just a fucking pleasure to watch. When I was watching it and I was like halfway through it, I was depressed that I was halfway through it uh, because I I wanted this movie to continue. I could have lived in this movie for quite some time. And it's a movie that I will re-watch again because I enjoyed what I was feeling. There were moments where the newspaper men would go down to a private club and sort of sit around in this private club and drink and talk about stuff. I wish that I was going to that private club with them. It's a great film, great performances, um, <clears throat> the lead in it reminds me of an older version of uh, uh, Thomas Jane. He, lo- he looks like Thomas Jane. Um, and uh, Janet M- Monroe, I've heard her name before. She's gorgeous in this movie. <clears throat> and there's like semi-nudity in the movie in the 1960s. Um, it's a great fucking watch. Like this movie ends up high on my lists. The Day the Earth Caught Fire... I did not know it existed, I wouldn't have even seen it if it wasn't on this list with two movies that I love so much, which is the original Mad Max and uh, Escape from New York. Why is it on this list, right? Why are they listed together? That's how they got me, was this thing, right? This never would have showed up in an algorithm. I cannot say it enough. Watch this movie, The Day the Earth Caught Fire. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. So I got out of that, and I immediately was like, man, I wish there was a sequel to this. I want to see other movies by Val Guest. I wanted to feel that same way. And so I went through this list in the post-apocalyptic sci-fi curation, and I found the next one in line, which is also a black and white movie, and it's called Panic in the Year Zero. And I started this with the hope that it was going to be the same vibe of the other one. And it's not. Right? Right off the bat I'm setting it up to be what I loved about the other one but it's not. It's directed by a different director Ray, what is it? Milland? It's done in 1962 in the United States and it's starring Ray who, whoa, I just did the fucking math on that. The lead is also the director? Whoa! Okay. Uh, Gene Hagen and Frankie Avalon. This one is more uh, Americanized than the British one. This one is definitely more uh, based upon the fear that all Americans had at that time period of what happens if a nuclear blast happens. And I love how this one starts. The movie starts on our main character, and it starts on a crane shot, and he's there fiddling with a fishing rod, and it pulls out, And then it just begins. So there's a lot of craft in the opening of it. Not of the level of Orson Welles, but you know that you know there's a bit of influence there, right? And you're like, okay, this is great. It follows this sort of like tough guy, American man, right? From that time period, very much like uh, a guy that was probably uh, in the war, a guy that was trained for the war, who comes back. He's dealing with his emotions, also trying to deal with his family, A lot of, like, the old stereotypes are in this film. You know, like, I feel like the women characters are are under really underdeveloped. uh, But that really feels like that period of time. Um, And it's about him and his son trying to get their family uh, to survive, um, essentially, a nuclear blast. And it's great. I mean, once you can get over... The fact that, like, look, this is a different time period. Um, obviously, there are a lot of tropes that come from the 50s and 60s that are in this film, but just get over that shit, man. And get into, like, the the thing I like about this movie so much is that it's a very simplistic plot line. Like, we need to get to here, we need to do these things in order to survive, and we need to get to here. Um, and I really enjoy that. It's... Kind of similar to like Mad Max, Mad, Mad Max Fury Road. It's like we need to get to here, we've got to do this, and then we got to go back and do this. Um, it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's simply done. Um, it reminded me a lot of, <clears throat> I'm going to forget the name of the movie, but it was a big hit on Netflix recently and everybody was pumped about it. It was the one with uh, Ethan Hawke. Um, and, uh, it was the one that, uh, where the family gets an Airbnb and then something happens in the city off in the distance. And then the actual owners, of the Airbnb show up and, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the actor who's going to play the new blade, he shows up Marshall and he comes in and there's a sort of conflict between them all. Um, that movie, I feel like the director of that film watched Panic in the year zero because, Uh, this movie has kind of the same vibes, same sort of formula, Um, except that new movie with Ethan Hawke sort of gets rid of a lot of the stereotypes that come from the 1960s and then inserts modern day stereotypes uh, which are just as will be just as dated as the ones uh, from this one when people watch that movie 10-15 years from now. They'll just go like Man, people were really stupid in the <laughs> in the twenty twenties. <2020s. laughs> uh, so, uh, but it's great. Uh, go and watch Panic in Year Zero. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, and it tr- thrust me further down into this list of pop- post apocalyptic sci fi. Before I continue, are you guys enjoying this? You guys liking this? Is it, is it making you excited to go grab yourself a Criterion account? Like I said, I'm not sponsored by these guys. But very similar to how I felt when I was in a record store and I was telling people about great albums that I liked. Very similar to what I loved about going to a video store and having the clerk go, Dude, you gotta try this fucking movie. If you like Escape from New York, you got to watch this movie. And he hand me a black and white DVD and I go, "Ooh, it's in black and white. And I go home and watch it and it would change my mind. You know what I mean? So I hope it's doing the same thing for you. I hope... You guys are excited. And you're checking out Criterion. The next movie I watched on here uh, was <laughs> a little bit more fun. And I knew it was going to be fun because it was a movie made in 1982 uh, from an Italian director, Enzo C. Uh, Cast how do you say Castel casto I'm gonna fuck this up. Cast La- Larry Castellari. Man, I did a real terrible job. I'll blame that on COVID. Uh, and it's a movie called 1990 The Bronx Warriors. Now, I know that a lot of Italian movies made at this time period were often very hokey and cheesy and fun and strange. Um, and it was quite obvious that uh, Escape from New York had already come out. And so these were sort of the knockoff movies of that. Um, and it was a, it looks like a combination of Escape from New York meets The Warriors. Um, And it was. (laughs) It's fun. It's cheesy. It's weird. uh, It's strange. Uh, It's a movie that uh, you know for a fact that uh, Robert Rodriguez probably loves. You know for a fact that Quentin Tarantino has seen this movie. Uh, It stars Vic Morrow, Christopher Conley, and Fred Williamson. For those of you who don't know Fred Williamson, he was the Uh, tough guy that had, if you guys remember from *Dust Till Dawn, uh, he was the big, tough uh, black dude that turned into the vampire, but he was an awesome fucking character in that movie. Um, Great movie, fun movie, definitely a different vibe than the other two that I watched. Um, And uh, I found myself laughing and chuckling and just enjoying the cheesiness of this film. Um, It definitely felt a lot like that Robert Rodriguez movie, Um, like like, uh, Grindhouse vibes, Uh, very Grindhouse, very exploitation, Um, and it's a blast. And I didn't watch the sequel, but they have the sequel up here as well, so uh, it's up here, Escape from the Bronx, same director, directed a year later, so they were really sort of banking on these two. Um, Great movies. A lot of fun. So if you're looking, if you got a bunch of people coming over, well, I mean, this is a COVID list, but if you got a bunch of friends coming over and you guys want to drink some beers and laugh at a movie, 1990, The Bronx Warriors. A lot of fun. So moving on, (coughs) I was like, all right, cool. I'm in the 1980s now. I kind of feel like I want to be in the 1980s. Let me check out Night of the Comet again. Now, this is a movie that I'm sure some of you who listen to the show have probably seen. Movie made in 1984 in the United States, directed by Tom uh, Eberhardt, I think is how you pronounce his name, starring Catherine Mary Stewart, um, Robert Boltran, and Kelly, uh, what is her name, Maroney? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading this from across the room. Um, it is <clears throat> a movie that uh, is just steeped with all of the things that you love about the 1980s. Great fucking music, right? Uh, Obviously, it has some John Hughes stuff sort of mixed with um, a lot of, like, uh, you know, like, The Return of the Living Dead, like, a lot of, like, Romero was obviously, like, George Romero was obviously a huge influence on this. Um, And it's just this really fun take on a post-apocalyptic Los Angeles. In the, the, the premise of it is that there is a comet that is sort of zooming past Earth, and Earth is going to be in its wake, and it hasn't done this in like 65 million years or whatever the fuck. And it just so happened that the last time that this comet uh, passed Earth, the dinosaurs went extinct, right? So, as Earth sort of follows behind this comet and its trail, this trail sort of leaves this sort of dust that falls down on the planet, It fucks up the whole planet. A bunch of people go missing. Um, And so the only people that have survived this thing and that are left over are people that were sleeping in steel-encased spaces. And so (coughs) they all sort of come out and they have to deal with what's happened. Um, It's super fun. It's um, got two really fun female leads uh, that are part of that whole sort of 80s Cindy Lauper, girls-just-want-to-have-fun uh, vibe, and um, it's a blast, man. There's a lot of really fun sort of horror gimmicks and tropes that feel like Wes Craven that are in here, um, and a uh, lot of really great staging of, like, empty Los Angeles, really iconic um, imagery. The image that they use for the thumbnail, are these two girls sitting on this police car, with this sort of like red soaked, like filter, red filter, gradient filter, uh, a la like Tony Scott um, sky. And uh, it's a great watch, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's really enjoyable. You find yourself smiling to the whole goddamn thing. Um, and there's some shit in it that's, that's cheesy, but cheesy in a good way, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off kind of thing. Um, it has all these different elements of all these 80 movies that have become classics that everybody loves. So if you haven't seen none of the comment and you want to feel all those things that you feel from the classics that I listed, this is a great watch for you. Great fucking watch for you. Um, And it's on Criterion. That just goes to show you that Criterion channel doesn't just have like this stuffy black and white, like, well, get it. I'm going to go watch all the Orson Welles movies. How many times can I go see Touch of Fucking Evil? You know what I mean? I love Curacao, but how many times can I watch fucking samurai movies, Right. Now, these, this, all the classics that we grew up loving are now ending up on, you know, classic channels. Like, <laughs> the fact that, like, all the rock and roll that we loved and all the metal that we loved are on classic rock, uh, radio stations, that's where the shit's going right now. Turner Classic movies aren't, you know, so, the sound of music primarily these days. It's like The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and all this other stuff. So all the great movies are ending up being curated um, from all different time periods On Criterion And uh, I watched Night of the Comet um, And then Last night I fell asleep I made it halfway through I started to rewatch Escape from New York Because it was in the 1980s And it had been a while And it, I really thought about it for a hot second Because I was like man I'm having so much fun Watching these movies I hadn't seen before Why do I want to watch Escape from New York again? But surprisingly, because of this curation and because of this list, I started to see this movie from a different point of view. And I really, really have enjoyed this watching of it. Uh, man, the opening of Escape from New York, so fucking good, right? Like they run that sort of text and they tell you that the world's gone to shit and there's, the crime rate has gone up. And that they've made the entire city of Manhattan a prison state and then they have sort of digitally in this like dated sort of computer diagram build a wall around uh, manhattan and then they do this shot where this guy in a jeep and a military outfit shows up and the camera pans up and they do a a hidden cut and it comes to the top of the wall with these soldiers on the top of the wall in new york city and a matte painting behind it and the helicopter sort of zooms over the top and there are all these really cool matte paintings of like the brooklyn bridge with the wall and the, uh, it's so fucking good, dude. And the fact that this was still kind of an indie movie, it wasn't a big budget movie, and they were doing this like huge, sprawling sort of epic stuff, um, and dark stuff. And the introduction of Snake Plissken, and then all of his. When you see the whole supporting cast in this movie, like Lee Lee Van Cleef, and Isaac Hayes, and like all these other. Actors that have been in all of the original John Carpenter movies. Like, uh, what's the guy's name? The blonde guy from, uh, he was the lead in uh, Assault on Precinct 13. He's in this. Um, There's all sorts of great characters. He was also in The Fog. Um, It's a fun fucking watch, man. And I'm excited to wrap up this podcast and get back into it today. Because I'm seeing it in a new... Brand new eyes, and I, I was so bummed to fall asleep last night um, uh, because I, I wanted to continue it. So uh, I could go on and on and on in ranting and raving about this stuff. I will continue to post my movies on Instagram. If you guys have any suggestions for great movies that you think I should watch, uh, leave me some messages on Instagram at MikePetchy or at the podcast, the Love of the Process pod. Um, and yeah, man, uh, I'm excited... Uh, that channels like the Criterion channel exist because I just fell down a hole in the most satisfying watch that I've had in months, in months, on movies that I never would have seen and never would have been marketed to me. Um, And uh, I hope that my excitement has triggered this for you. And you may be listening to this episode and and saying like, look, Mike, uh, we know how excited you are about uh, post-apocalyptic sci-fi, but... There are all these other collections on here that are really interesting. There's actually a collection on here called Cat Movies. Gina just walked in the room with a mask on. And this would probably be her collection. Let's see. Cat Movies. What do they have listed for cat movies? The Cassandra Cat? What is this all about? The Long Goodbye? Great movie. Why is that a cat movie? The Cat from Outer Space. The Darn Cat. Cat People. The Incredible Shrinking Man. The Cat Creeps, The Cat, I <laughs> of the Cat, I'm fascinated. The curation of cat movies, because they know how much people like cat videos, have put together such an interesting list of movies that I'm fascinated by it. So go check out the Criterion channel right now. I'm telling you, it's awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun for you. And this is a really fun escape if you are um, dealing with COVID and you're locked in your own little cave you're trying to survive uh thanks for listening gang hopefully the next time you hear from me i will have tested negative and i will be able to get out of my smelly little hole and be a real person again all right you know the deal i'll see you next tuesday